of overseeing in, in Russia, which is very close to us. I can't see it from your house. But, it, <laughs> but, it, it, it but does, it's pretty close. It's close. About yeah. two miles separate Alaska from Is uh, that right? Two Russia. miles? Yeah, two miles. Really? Yeah, especially in the very northwest corner there. Yeah. Welcome to Canusa Street, a podcast at the intersection of the issues and policies between Canada and the United States. Here are your hosts, Scotty Greenwood and Chris Sands. Welcome back to Canusa Street, everybody. I'm Scotty Greenwood with the Canadian American Business Council, and I'm here in our pop-up studio live uh, with Chris Sands in Calgary, Alberta. Hello, Chris. Hello, Scotty. Nice to be back with you on Canusa Street. You too. And this is getting fun. I think we should do. I think we should do this in person as much as we can. I'm excited about our very distinguished special guest. Uh, the Lieutenant Governor of Alaska is somebody that is well known in Alaska, not only because everybody knows everybody, but right. you have a very great record. <laughs> Um, but also uh, is talking about the Arctic here at the Penwar Conference, the Pacific Northwest Economic Region Conference. Uh, and I think the Arctic is a subject, I know the Arctic is a subject I care a lot about, but I think it's important to the world, and, and maybe we'll get into some of those issues today. So first, Chris, how about you properly introduce our distinguished guest? It's a pleasure. Um, Lieutenant Governor Kevin Meyer, is uh, he's the sitting Lieutenant Governor and was first elected to the position in 2018. Prior to his time as Lieutenant Governor, he served eight years in the Anchorage Assembly, eight years in the State House of Representatives, and 10 years in the Alaska State Senate. He served in several key leadership positions in the legislature, including co-chair of the House and Senate Finance Committees, um, also Senate Majority Leader, Senate Rules Chairman, and was chosen by his Senate colleagues to represent, uh, to serve as Senate President from 2015 to 2016. As Lieutenant Governor, he's been selected to numerous boards and committees. He is very active on Arctic issues and has really put Alaska you were already on the map, but very much at the center of American thinking about the Arctic. And so we're really glad that you were able to come and join us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, it's an, it's an interesting thing in Canada. When they talk about the Arctic, it is a Canadian issue. Um, in the United States, when we talk about the Arctic, it's an Alaska issue. Uh, talk to us about what are the big challenges and opportunities, um, presented by the Arctic for our country, not just for Alaska, but for the United States? Yeah, well, you know, um, I think for the longest time, uh, the United States didn't realize that they are an Arctic country because of us. And now recently, um, you know, they are recognizing uh, the importance of, of the whole Arctic region and, and for uh, Alaska. Uh, what we're seeing in, in Russia, which is very close to us, um, you can't see it from your house, but, it, but, it, it <laughs> but does, it's pretty close. It's close. About yeah. two miles separates um, uh, Alaska from from. Um, Is that uh, right? From, two from miles? Yeah, two miles. Really? Yeah, especially in the very northwest corner there. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, uh, and what we what we're seeing in Russia is that they are really expanding their offshore oil and gas platforms and development, and uh, and and with that, they've increased their military presence. Now, what they tell us is that um, they're doing that to protect their oil and gas investments, but uh, we're not sure, especially yeah. after Ukraine. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and even some of their government officials had said, uh, well, you know, why don't we take back uh, uh, Alaska as well as Ukraine? Um, so They've said that, really? They have said that, yes. No kidding. Yes, yes. And, and, you know, that's sort of concerning, but not too much, because, you know, we've been part of the United States since 1870s, which was... Um, uh, that's called the Seward's Folly, which actually is a very good investment. It was only $8 million back then. And, uh, 
so what what the what we've done because of that is we've also built up our military now in Alaska. We have eight very large military bases, and uh, uh, just about everybody in Alaska has two or three guns. You know, because we go hiking, you need a shotgun for the bears. Sure, so you, absolutely. You, you know, you got to yeah. shoot the the moose and the caribou with your rifle, and then the handgun for protection. So, uh, you know, if Russia does want to come back and, and reclaim Alaska, good, we're, good we're luck ready. to them. Yeah, yeah. we're ready. ready. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but but uh, so what we're seeing is a uh, um, uh, you know a lot of discussion during this. Uh, Symposium conference about critical minerals, mm-hmm. and, and yeah. uh, the U.S. Geological Survey said that the, uh, at least thirty of the thirty-five critical minerals are in Alaska. So we have them. Uh, we we want to produce them. We're producing some up at the Red Dog Mine at, at Kotzebue uh, with the, with Tech. Uh, we have uh, twelve native corporations that their whole um, intent is to produce their um, uh, their their land for for their people. And, and so they hire uh, the indigenous people. That's their top priority. And that's what we're seeing at Red Dog, uh, at, at the zinc and copper mine up there. And then up on the North Slope where the oil and gas is, um, they are pretty much doing most of the production for the oil companies. Uh, so there's just a lot of opportunity in, in Alaska. Uh, uh, and now with the receding of the ice uh, because of climate change, we have a lot more tourism coming up, a lot more cruise ships coming up. Uh, but that also... Uh, brings risk because what we're seeing now is China in particular taking advantage of that to, um, uh, you know, for export purposes. And as, and I already mentioned what, what Russia is doing. And so that, that is concerning to us. It's concerning to us that, that if there was an environmental disaster, an oil spill, um, we're not prepared for it. Uh, we couldn't clean it up, and Russia certainly can't. Uh, and and uh, it would it would require an ice breaker more than likely because there's still a lot of ice up there, and uh, the, the nearest ice breaker is in Seattle. <laughs> wow! So which is pretty far away if it, you look at a map. It, it would take several days. Yeah, yeah, to, yeah. to get up to uh, you know Nome where the you know where the disaster would likely uh, happen. Now the good news though with the infrastructure bill that just passed um, they are building uh, new ice cutters and we've been told that one of them uh, will come to to Alaska. Also uh, uh, there's uh, several I think it's like over 600 million dollars uh, uh, going to a new deep water port in, in Nome as well. Uh, and that's more likely where the ice cutter would be would be housed. And also though in that infrastructure bill which was great for Alaska um uh, is uh, 1.5 billion for uh, broadband, and and uh, you know it's got to be important. Yeah, oh, it's, it's crit- got to be. Yeah, it's critical because 70 percent of of our land is not accessible by by road. So the no, only way to get there is by plane. Still, some use dog sleds, uh, mostly three wheelers. Yeah. So now, yeah, <laughs> mechanical dog sleds, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, but. Um, you know, if you can't fly in and somebody needs medical attention, then, you know, the, the tele, telemedical is, is critical. Sure. And that's where the broadband will, will really, really help. So this infrastructure bill is going to, is going to really help uh, Alaska. That's really interesting. You know, you mentioned um, the Red Dog Mine. And just for our listeners, Chris, uh, Tech Resources is a company in British Columbia that has invested uh, in development of copper and nickel in Alaska and some other places. I do some work with tech. Uh, and what's interesting is all the talk in Washington now is about ally shoring and near shoring and how do we displace Russia and how do we displace China? Well, because of the investments in Alaska that tech has made, uh, it's a Canadian company that is the largest developer of critical minerals in, in, in here in North America. And that's a story that isn't well 
known. Um, so I'm happy. I'm happy you raised it, Governor, because because uh, I think it's it. We'll we'll talk about it more on Canusa Street. Uh, but but Alaska is playing a key role here in the security uh, of. North America, but also in the carbon transition, because after all, these critical minerals and resources are used to um, build solar cells, build electric vehicle batteries, and things like that. Absolutely. So, um, so Alaska has a key role to play, in, and and I'm I'm really glad you mentioned it. Well, I just hope they they let us. Uh, when I say they, the federal government, because so much of the land, unfortunately, is still owned by the federal government. Over sixty percent. Is so, that right? That's yeah, a, that's a large chunk. Yeah, sixty percent, and you know about twenty percent. Uh, um, is, is for the Alaska natives, which mm-hmm. which which is great, and then uh, and then the rest. Um, I see. Yeah, the rest is is pretty much state land. Um, only one percent is in private hands. Very very small amount. That's interesting. That's got to be unusual, isn't it, Chris? That sounds more like Canada than the United States. It, it does. I know a lot of the western states though are like that. Yeah, There's no, a big Nevada federal presence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, and, uh, like I said, the, the native uh, uh, indigenous folks and the native corporations have been great about wanting to develop their land, um, again, because the, the profits from that go to their shareholders, which are the indigenous people. And, of course, the state, we're very, we're very pro-development. We want the jobs. We, we, we want the economic activity. Uh, but with the feds having over 60 percent, it's, uh, uh, you know, Unfortunately, that's where a lot of the, these critical minerals are. So, they, so we, we need to get uh, our folks back in D.C. to say, look, uh, we'd rather get this from Alaska than China. We'd rather get our oil and gas from uh, Alaska than, than Iran or, I guess, recently Saudi Arabia. Um, we have to get we have to get them convinced of that, and, and we have two good senators, uh, Senator Sullivan and Senator Murkowski, and they do their best, um, but. Uh, but it's it, an uphill battle. It looks, especially yes, now with the with the climate uh, uh, change and, and uh, going renewable and all that. And renewable is great, and we support that. And we have a lot of renewable uh, energy already in Alaska, and and we're going in that direction ourselves. But you just can't do it overnight. And I think that's what we're finding. And Russia's taking advantage of that leverage. Yeah. You, we, sorry, Chris. One one more, and then and then I'll turn it to you, and then I'll turn it to a pumpkin. Um, <laughs> You also have a long border with Canada. Yes. How so? How is the Canada-U.S. border from an Alaska point of view? Um, you know, you have to travel from the United States through Canada back into the United States. So there's some unique issues actually in terms of connectedness. How how do you think about the border? How's it going? We love Canada, and and, and we love our we love our neighbors, whether it be to the east. Um, Maybe not so much to the West, <laughs> but uh, no, I, we have a great relationship and, and our people go back and forth all the time. The tourists, you know, uh, drive up through the Alcan highways you mentioned. And uh, uh, we just heard a, a presentation uh, uh, from the uh, premier from the Yukon and, and uh, uh, that Skagway port that's on Alaska side is critical to them for them to get their critical minerals out because yeah. they don't have a port. So that's, a, that's a, sorry that, to interrupt yeah. you. That's a beautiful place. The Chris, I don't, have you been to Skagway, Alaska? I've not been to Skagway, but I know it was the heart of the old Alaska boundary dispute at the beginning yeah. of the last century. Uh, was critical. The U.S. Uh, the U.S. held the po- the port. Canada tried to get it. The British tried to get it, uh, and it was all about the Russian map makers who did such a lousy <laughs> job of saying where the edge of that no territory kidding. was. Well, yeah. it's absolutely glorious. If you ever have a chance, I was in. Yukon with the Canadian American 
Business Council, Business Delegation, and we went over to Skagway, uh, and just the drive over was spectacular. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then once you get there, any, anyway, we digress. Well, I was going to ask you, um, uh, Lieutenant Governor, because of the... Um, not only do not a lot of Americans from the lower 48 really connect with uh, Alaska. We know there's an Arctic up there, but that's not our lived experience. And so we have kind of maybe fuzzy ideas about how things actually work. How is the Canadian Arctic? When you you look at Yukon and, and Northwest Territories, because I know they're in the Pinwa region, what are some of the similarities and maybe some of the differences between the ways in which Alaska works and its neighbors work? Well, you know, in, in my conversations with both the um, uh, folks in Northwest Territories and, and the Yukon, they're very, very similar. I mean, we don't have met many people, but we have a lot of land, mm-hmm. um, and and we don't have many roads. Uh, we don't have much infrastructure. So, a lot of ways, uh, we're very similar. Um, there are, as you know, there's eight countries that are considered Arctic countries, and of course, uh, Canada, the U.S., and uh, uh, Norway, Finland, Sweden, Iceland, Greenland, and and Russia, and we have been before Russia, you know, did this thing they did in, in Ukraine, and they are doing. Uh, we we used to get together and would talk about okay, um, you know, how how can we move the Arctic forward with with the changing climate and 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 with the um, you know more emphasis on on development in in this area. And and it's, it's too bad, you know. Russia has most of the Arctic, and and now they're not um, not and worth I, this. Anymore. I worry about that a little bit. It seems, uh, and of course, we're glad if if Sweden and Finland join mm-hmm. NATO in a lot of ways. But it'll put a situation where the Arctic is divided between. Russia Arctic and NATO Arctic. Do you think that, you know, that kind of a divide, it seems like it puts a lot of burden on us to coordinate with our allies, but it also has the potential for conflict or a failure of cooperation? Yeah. That, well, that's a concern. I guess I hadn't, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that, that, uh, you know, with, with, well, I guess Greenland and Iceland is not part of the, uh, NATO either, I don't believe. Oh, well, Greenland is because it's still under Denmark. So, okay. Uh, okay. Well, we tried to buy them, didn't we? We did try to buy them. Under President Trump. <laughs> a couple yes, of times. Yes, President Trump tried to buy Greenland. Well, that would have solved I, the problem. Well, right he there. realized that, you know, they have all these critical minerals. Oh, and now, do? you know, and of course, China is very interested in, in them too, for that reason. I'm sorry. Yeah, no. Uh, you know, we are, it is, it is important to think about conflict with Russia because, of course, we're in one right now. It's real. It's today. It's happening in Ukraine. Contrast that with Russia cooperation in space, where we're not in conflict. And I wonder if there is some world in which in the Arctic, it's somewhere, you know, it's not conflict in Europe, it's not total cooperation in space, but there's maybe a tense uh, truce or something. But I think that would require, and you, you mentioned it, Governor, capability. We need, in Canada and the United States, and in our allies, we need more capability. We don't need just one icebreaker. I'm glad we're getting one. But we need 10. Yeah. You know, Canada and Canada needs to be a part of that. I mean, we need all kinds of capability. We have under-the-sea capability, of course, with the U.S. Navy. But we need icebreakers. You mentioned disaster. What are we going to do if um, if and when, God forbid, something happens that's an environmental catastrophe? We have to be able to remediate it. Uh, and we don't have any of those things no, yet. No, we do yeah. not. We do not. And that, that, is, that is frightening, especially now as we see so much more activity in, in, the, in the various water passages. Uh, China, for example, is, is really taking advantage of that. China, not even an Arctic uh, uh, country, has more icebreakers than we do. So, well, and they wanted to be an observer to the Arctic mm-hmm. Council. I think they are an observer, yeah. yeah. 
they wanted to be a member. They wanted to be a member. And go, wait a minute, you're not part of our. You're not. Yeah. And let me ask you about that because the Arctic Council, when it was set up, you know, Russia's chairing it now, so we're not meeting because we don't want to validate that. Although we haven't kicked them out, and I think that goes to your comment that there is a lot of value in potential cooperation, and we may get mm-hmm. past this. Mm-hmm. But um, one of the one of the sets of governments that is always uh, left out are. I guess you call subnational jurisdictions like Alaska and the Canadian territories and so on. Can we use this opportunity while we're sort of not very happy with the Russian chairmanship to deepen the connection between some of the people who live in that region and this Arctic Council, which is really uniting federal or national governments? I mean, can't we, if we can bring in China as an observer, couldn't we bring in the Yukon as an observer and give them more role? Because you're living there. This is what you see every day should be informing the kind of opportunities for cooperation and the warnings about problems. Yeah. Well, and I think it's important too that we, that we, um, bring in more indigenous people from the Arctic areas because they, they've lived here forever, right? And they've, yeah. they've constantly have been adjusting to to change and in, in, in a particular climate. Um, and what's interesting is uh, what they're finding all these dinosaur bones up in the far north uh, north slope where we have oh, our really? oil. Yeah, and so I asked a, a professor, I says, well, how could dinosaurs survive in this minus 40, 50 uh, degree weather that they frequently have up there, and they said, "Well, it never used to be that that yeah. cold." So the climate's always been changing. Now the argument, though, is now it's changing much faster. Uh, but the indigenous people, they they know how to survive, and so we just need to make sure they're included in in whatever discussions we have. And there there's a, there is a conference coming up in Greenland, and actually I was going to go, but. Um, it's you can't get a, a a plane ride in there. Apparently, the planes oh, really? only go twice a week, and and uh, they're all full. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. Talk a little, if you could, just uh, for those of us who are outside the region. How are the indigenous communities doing in terms of economic prosperity, opportunity? You said that they lean forward in trying to create some economic opportunities for for their communities, but but. What is life for them like, and how do they relate to the larger picture of of, art, of the Arctic? Yeah, I think I think it varies uh, uh, on the region. You know, and again, Alaska is huge, and we like to remind our our friends in Texas that we're two and a half times the size of Texas. Can you imagine that? Think of that size: <laughs> two and a half times the size of Texas. Yeah, you could cut us in half, and Texas would be the third largest state. Um, <laughs> but. Um, um, so uh, some areas uh, of, of the state, the indigenous people just uh, they just want to live on subsistence, and that's it. And that, that's great, uh, whether it be the fishing or the, uh, the or the moose and caribou. And in other uh, 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 parts of, of the state, the indigenous people, you know, they, they want to be a little more moderate, and and uh, and they want to get these jobs that the the tech offers, and and that uh, the North Slope, you know, pays good salaries for, and, and so they they are. You know, probably doing better, depending on how you define better, I guess, because sometimes I think the subsistence lifestyle is much simpler and much more, much more relaxing and peaceful than... than uh, and I know in, in, among Canadian First Nations, one of the buzzwords of our time is equity. You know, wanting to be involved in projects, not just giving an approval and hoping it works out, but having a stake, being a co-owner of mm-hmm. infrastructure crossing their community or, or whatnot. Has that also inspired some of the indigenous communities in Alaska to look for a new way of participating in some of these projects? Yeah. Uh, uh, again, through their native corporations, they, they are uh, participating in, in uh, 
most of the development in, in our state. And then, you know, of course, then those corporations share the, the profits with, with their people, uh, with uh, their shareholders through through the, the dividends and, and the profit that they, they get. Well, and that's the way to go. You've got to have self self-governance, self-determination. And, and, you know, we talked about the Red Dog Mine, and that's a good example of um, an Alaska Native corporation that saw a business opportunity, and uh, that benefits everyone. Uh, You know, they are participating there they own it uh they have the resources of the big multinational but they're really in charge in alaska and it and it, it is turned into a really good partnership that's the one i'm familiar with chris uh but but there are there are other examples it can always get better but i think I, I think alaska is figuring it out better than most yeah well and a lot of that credit goes to our, our former senator senator uh, ted stevens uh, you know he 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 put that all together back in the early 1970s and worked with the various uh, tribal and, and, and native groups to to come to agreement on, on land exchange and um, so yeah it's, it's 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 worked out pretty well for us um, and Kaspu is a good example where the Red Dog Mine is it used to be a very uh, poor area and, and now they got a new hospital they got um, you know community college and um, you know they and they got roads so they're they're doing much better um, well and. You know, you mentioned Senator Stevens. I, I can't let you go without talking about politics for a little bit. We're, we're here with a bunch of elected officials, including yourself. Sure. And there, a number of the Alaska delegation to Penware isn't here, um, I think, because there is a primary coming up. Yeah. We're, you know, we're in July here, and it's in August. Um, congressman passed away, an iconic right. congressman, so there's a race for that. So maybe give us a little... You're not running again, so no. this is safe. Give us a little update on politics in Alaska. Yeah, no, no, happy to, because uh, it is very complicated. Yeah, Don Young had been our uh, representative forever, 49 years, and, and I think he just he wanted to get to 50, and so that's why he was running again. But unfortunately, he was 89, and he died on, on an airplane coming back from Alaska via uh, uh, L.A., and, uh, and tragic, it is, really. Yeah, it's terrible. It's, yeah. it's sad. Yeah. yeah. Um, so um, in in Alaska, as a, the lieutenant governor also serves as the secretary of state. So I oversee elections. So we're having a special election to to replace him, and uh, and it's probably not the best time to be doing a new way, a new yeah, a new way to hold our elections. But we're doing uh, what's called ranked choice voting, and uh, that's happening here in Alberta too. Actually, they're doing it? ranked choice voting for yeah. the leader of the. Um, Oh, United Conservative United Party. United Conservative Party. Okay. So you got... I, I didn't know that. I, yeah. I, I talked to some folks in Australia because they've been mm-hmm. using it for, for quite a while. Uh, but it's very confusing to folks their first time. Yeah. And, and, uh, and you know, they call me as the as the Secretary of State and say, well, you know, how dare you? Why are you doing this? And the reason why we're doing it is because it passed by a um, uh, uh, ballot initiative. The voters asked for it. Yeah. yeah. I know. <laughs> so it's like, anyway, it's not our idea. We don't. Yeah. You just got to make it happen. Well, so... Yeah. What's going to happen? Any predictions? There are a lot of people are running. Some famous names, some not as well known. What do you yeah. think? Yeah. Well, you know, again, I think everybody's trying to figure out um, how this ranked choice voting is going to going to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, for example, Sir Palin's got name recognition, mm-hmm. um, and, and uh, so we we had. Here's where it gets complicated. Right now, we just need to fill Don Young's seat till the end of December. So we're having a special election just to fill that. But okay. of course, everybody wants to win that. So then they are then the you're incumbent, the incumbent, right? And then the money flows to you, and then and then hopefully you Off win you it go. In, yeah. the, in the general in November. Um, so um, 
you know, I, I think somebody like Sarah Palin, who, who is running for that seat, uh, has the name recognition, but I don't think she can get 50%. So it's going to, to depend on how um, the votes get redistributed. Mm-hmm. You know, whoever's in fourth place, uh, you know, they get eliminated because they're last, and then their votes get reallocated. Um, so it'll be interesting to, to see. And, and everybody's trying to out-strategize and out-think the, the well, system. I, I saw somebody say, well, if you can't vote for me or make me number one pick, make me your, your second pick. So. Yeah, the campaigns. Well, maybe maybe Chris, we could uh, we could invite invite now the Secretary of State, uh, Lieutenant Governor, back on Canusa Street after and explain to us what all happened. Yeah, back in, in December. I'm, yeah. You know, I'm hoping I'll be in Mexico or Hawaii. About we'll we'll be there. <laughs> I, we can take Canusa Street on the road, uh, we, right, Chris? Absolutely. You know, yeah. it, it's 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 kind of sad, and, and I'm a I'm a good Republican, um, but we're still dealing with the 2020 election. Yeah, and and um, there's some folks. Uh, the one that comes to mind sells pillows um, that, that, you know, still saying that the, and, and the former president are still saying that the elections were, were fraud and you can't trust them. And, it, you know, that, that really bothers me because some people actually believe that. And so they, you know, yeah. they, they, they contact me. Um, but also what concerns me more is that people just won't vote. They'll think, hey, well, if the election's fraud and you can't trust it, why, why should I bother? So that, that concerns me. Um, that concerns me, too, for democracy. Yeah. You know, really. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things that comes up again and again now is is people's confidence in the system, their trust that it works. And uh, every politician I've met, you know, will speak usually to the value of trust and just the person to person. COVID's meant we've done a lot more remote communication. It isn't the same. You can have a call, obviously. We've done that for a long time. But, right. but it's not the same as seeing somebody face-to-face, looking them in the eye, having that conversation. Shaking do, their hand. Yeah. Shaking their hand. How do we come out of COVID um, with a politics that gets back to that that personal dimension? Um, and I know with the big spaces in Alaska, and you were talking about the lack of roads, it's always tempting to have a Zoom call, and, and that can be great for testimony from somebody from a small community if the broadband is there, because they can participate. Otherwise, they wouldn't, right? right. But but for the business of politics, uh, how do we get back to the interpersonal? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, you know, Alaska never... Um, right or wrong, I guess never did really shut down during COVID. So we were we continued to stay open, um, encouraged wearing masks and getting vaccinated and all that. Sure. Um, but um, um, I remember when I ran statewide for the lieutenant governor with 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 the governor. Um, you know, you just ha- you just you just have to hop on these small planes and mm-hmm. and go to all the villages and all over the state um, and 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 try to do exactly what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And I and I think that's what the uh, well, I know that's what the candidates are doing now as well. So I think um, you know we're still doing that personal one on one. And and, uh, and that is important, and, and that's uh, actually critical, I believe, in order to win. I also think it's critical to building the kind of odd couple partnerships that you sometimes see between people from different parties or different regions. And since we're in Washington, D.C., Scotty and I, we're always looking at, at Congress, and you realize that people are trying to spend as much time in the home district as possible. They sometimes don't even have anything but like a couch to sleep on in their office, and they're just not building the relationships they used to. And I think just my opinion, I think it enables some of the nastiness. Oh, the relationships with their colleagues. With their colleagues, yeah. 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 Because I was going to say, you know, they, they are flying back, you know, it, it, it's, it's a long flight. It is. <laughs> Alaska. Yeah. So I feel sorry for Don Young, who yeah. we just talked about, and, and, and Murkowski and, and Sullivan. Um, 
but uh, yeah, no, but uh, yeah, there's got to be a balance there somewhere where you you keep that one-on-one personal relationship with your constituents, but also um, you all, you have a cordial relationship with your with your colleagues. And this is something that I think we could learn more from Alaska because y- you are a small state population-wise and quite you know low population density, but you're a big state geographically and. The U.S., you know, we're, we're a big country in both respects, but ultimately, overcoming distance, continuing that human interface, that's something you, you've been doing for ever since you became a state and even before. Yeah, and, and I think, um, you know, Senator Murkowski has gotten um, maybe bad rap sometimes because she does cross over and, and, and work with the other party. And, and Ted Stevens, our senator that I talked about earlier, did the same thing. Well, and, and Senator Murkowski's father. Yeah. Yeah, Frank Murkowski. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't understand, you know, why we have such bickering going on in D.C. and why, you know, if you're a Republican, you have to vote this way, Democrat that way. Because at least in state government, uh, you know, we had the flexibility and, and freedom to vote however we wanted to on on a bill based on its merits. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, that's something maybe we can import a little bit from Alaska, bring down to Washington. There's always hope. Yeah, um, what was it? What's that called? Um, they and they got rid of it because you know people were getting all these capital projects. Um, oh, not the filibuster. Filibuster? No, no, no. But but somebody said if we brought that back, that would help. You know, bring bring both sides to, together more. Oh, was it earmarks? Earmarks? Yes, yeah. yes, that's it. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. I mean, I I don't know if you agree with that or not. No, I mean, you have to find a way to get a consensus, and I there's so many great stories in American, but also Canadian history where. You know, somebody was a little skeptical about a, a big legislative proposal, but they got a post office or or they were able to do something for their community. And they said, look, we have to compromise. That's the nature of politics. And while I'm not so I'm, I'm not sure this uh, whether it's health care reform or the interstate highway system is going to work or benefit my folks, I got something. So I can hold my head high and say, well, I hope it works. But the main thing was I got something for my district. And they took that away because they thought, well, it's creating all these crazy little projects and pet projects. That's not that's not the way to build a country. But it is the way to build consensus sometimes to build the kind of majority that that can get stuff passed. Yep. Um, and uh, well, now we're talking about politics, and I'm <laughs> I'm supposed to be just uh, entertaining our uh, our listeners here. Um, but uh, let me end our part just with one question. You know, you've seen politics in the rest of the country in Alaska, and we started talking about the Arctic. For those of us who live in the lower 48 who don't have that immediate connection... Hopefully you don't live in Texas. No, no. Okay. No, no. I, I, no, I'm from Detroit, and I live in Washington now. But, okay. Um, <laughs> but for, for those of us who don't live in the Arctic, don't live so close to it, what would you tell us about climate change, about the future of this region, about the minerals, about it? Yeah. Like, what what do we need to know? Well, the Arctic is definitely changing. Uh, and, and, and as I mentioned earlier, it's it's always been changing, but it's changing very rapidly now. And, and there's a lot of challenges to, to overcome, uh, you know, with the, with the permafrost and, and some of the villages, you know, falling into the ocean. Um, uh, and, and, and the increase in, in forest fires because we have, you know, so many, so many trees. Um, so there are a lot of challenges that, that we need to address and we look forward to, to dealing with them head on. But, the, but then there's also a lot of opportunities that we want to exploit. Um, you know, now you have tourism, like I mentioned, the cruise ships uh, uh, are coming further north. Um, but the, the tourism season, you know, 
most everybody wants to come in the summer, right? Yeah, funny. Is <laughs> being extended. So yeah. tourism is, is, is longer. Um, the fish seem to be migrating further north, but that's bringing an opportunity for those folks in, mm-hmm. in northern uh, uh, Alaska. So, um, so the, the, the changing Arctic is, is both uh, a, a negative and, and a positive, and, and we need to address the negative and, and like I said, take advantage of the, of the positive. Um, and, and I think as, if we can all just work together as an Arctic region, which we have been doing until recently, um, um, uh, we can all benefit. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for spending time with us, Governor. It is uh, great to see you in Calgary, and uh, hopefully we'll see you in Alaska, and maybe uh, once you retire, we'll see you in Hawaii or Mexico City <laughs> or wherever you end up, and we'll, we'll bring Canusa Street to you. How about that? Yeah, that, that, that sounds great, and uh, um, thank you very much for yeah, joining us. thank you. I appreciate this. You know, I love a good chat with a lieutenant governor. And uh, Kevin Meyer, the lieutenant governor of the state of Alaska, is a really interesting guest for Canusa Street. He's an important leader. I think everybody in Alaska knows each other. And uh, the fact that he's also secretary of state is is a new fact for me. So I was really interested to hear not only about Alaska issues, Arctic issues, but also election issues, democracy. That that was a bonus uh, in that conversation. And for our Canadian listeners, we say lieutenant governor, not lieutenant governor. And this is not a... Where is the F in Lieutenant? It's a British thing. Can someone explain it? I don't know. Anyway, this is not an appointee or representative of the Crown. This is someone who is a politician who has been, has real duties in making sure Alaska elections work. But more importantly, he's one of those Americans who lives and breathes in the Arctic. And I think for Americans, we often don't think of ourselves as an Arctic nation. You have to check in with Alaska to really understand how important it is for the United States. That's exactly right. And you know what? I would also recommend to anybody who hasn't been to the Arctic, go. Canadian American Business Council has led a few business delegations up there. I've had the opportunity to travel to the Arctic, the subarctic. You've been up there. I think it's a wonderful opportunity, and uh, and we should go. It's the, the place is changing dramatically, and the issues from sovereignty to climate change, to environmental catastrophe, uh, to war with Russia. They're all there. It's really fascinating. It really is. But I think one of the things that came out from that interview and will stay with me is we have to listen to people who live there. You know, discussion about, right. well, is climate change affecting things? Well, they they know. And yeah. we should be listening to them and, and supporting them. They're our fellow Americans and, in some cases, fellow Canadians. So very important to listen to someone like uh, Lieutenant Governor Meyer. And I thought he was very charming. Hey, was charming, and I love this idea of getting together in person at a conference. It's it's a target-rich environment for us, it you is. know. And 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 our producer Zavi spends a lot of time chasing down our guests and our schedules and everything else. And in this case, here at Penmore in Calgary, we're able to talk to a lot of people in a short period of time, and that's uh, that's a real blessing, actually. Yes, and you know, uh, Zavi uh, can actually physically drag them in here, so uh, he's uh, he's the muscle of Canusa Street now. He's the muscle of Canusa. Street. That's exactly right. Picture, picture a, I don't know, an Emmett. What? It's like a reverse bouncer. Instead of throwing people out, he throws them in, and then he's the magnet, the magnet, and the muscle. Uh, There we go. Amen. (laughs) Listen, always great to see you, my friend. Always great to see you too. Outstanding. This podcast is brought to you by the Canadian American Business Council and the Wilson Center. If you like this episode, help others find our show and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.